Welcome to Ancient Heroes, where we explore the mysteries and myths of the ancient world. I'm your host, Patrick Garvey. You can find the show notes and learn more about ancient history at ancientheroes.net. Okay, hi everybody. I'm here today with Michelle Salzman, who's a professor of history at the University of California, Riverside. She, she is an expert on the religious and social history of late antiquity. She is the author of many books and scholarly articles, including her most recent book, The Falls of Rome, Crises, Resilience, and Resurgence in Late Antiquity, which came out earlier this year and was published by Cambridge University Press. So thanks, Professor Salzman, for being here with us today. And I, I think my first question is, just about late antiquity and this period in general and why you've taken such an interest in this and, and became a specialist in this period of time. Well, thank you. Uh, I studied a Latin and Greek classics uh, as an undergraduate and in graduate school. And my uh, interest in late antiquity came about really through a research question. I had been taking a seminar on a long poem by Ovid devoted to the Roman calendar. And uh, one of the, uh, the best preserved uh, extant Roman calendar comes from this period, late antiquity, from the fourth century um, after Christ. And uh, um, it was an amazing document. Uh, it no longer exists um, from the fourth century, but I, uh, but there were many, many copies of it in the ninth century and then in the Renaissance, and it preserved um, a whole pagan set of holidays as well as a list. It's our earliest list of the the martyrs uh, of the city of Rome, um, and it was in a book. Um, and I became fascinated by this conjunction of two different worlds living together in the same city, one pagan, one Christian. How do they coexist? What's the relationship of the two? And I really became much more interested in the sort of what happens after the, the glory of the second century, um, because the Roman Empire in the West persisted for another, well, well when it ends is a big question, which is why I wrote this book. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, it certainly lasted for many more centuries than many um, ancient historians uh, consider. And so this period from around the third century uh, uh, through the sixth, seventh century was really open for exploration in exciting new ways. Mm. It was sort of an orphan, right? Um, people who look at the classical world stopped after, um, well, after Trajan uh, very often. And then people, medievalists would begin much later on. And so it was really a period that was open for much interpretation. And it was very much in influenced by the work of very famous um, uh, uh, late ancient historian, um, Peter Brown. Uh, so I came across his book. And so it's really um, become a sort of separate, a really separate vibrant area in which you can look at religious, political, social, cultural interactions with a lot of things that have never been studied before. So that was one of the attractions. Fascinating. I came across a book, I think it's called The, the World of Late Antiquity or something like that in a little neighborhood library thing where that somebody had put out and I have it upstairs. I haven't dove into it yet, but I just found that I found it to be very interesting, just the title. And I hadn't thought much about late antiquity. I think people think about the height of, you know, the city states in Greece or the height of the Roman empire. And is it, is it fair to say for someone new to all this, is it fair to say that the decline of the Roman empire is sort of the defining thing happening in late antiquity? How do you look at that? Well, that's, uh, there is a very long strand of, um, of history, um, often associated with, in the English-speaking world, the works of Edward Gibbon, who, who wrote uh, a massive work, The Decline of All the Roman Empire, which was, uh, he was British, British historian in the 18th mm. century, and he was obviously very concerned about the new American empire, what was happening with the British empire. And that, um, that work really has summarizes a very 
um, traditional approach to this period of looking at it as one of endings, declines, mm. crises, all of it falling apart. Uh, and so that really has colored um, a, a lot of the scholarship. What's so exciting about um, the world of late antiquity is all the new creative um, responses and new institutions uh, so that, you know, the, you can see that um, new developments are happening. Yes, there are, some things are ending. Um, most obviously, paganism is sort of dying out, although much more gradually than, than we used to think. Um, but new religions are taking that place. Christianity, Islam, uh, uh, even Henotheism, sort of solar henotheism becomes an important, uh, yeah, there is a new way of being a pagan that becomes important. So uh, there are all these new uh, developments. Uh, and again, it's one of the, it was my dissatisfaction with that notion of decline and fall mm. that in, in many cases led me to write this most recent book because there is, uh, you know, as we've lived through the pandemic and we've seen, there are many crises, but uh, the recovery is really key to understanding the impact of any major challenge to a civilization. And mm -hmm. how you recover really um, makes a huge difference. There were, there were certainly, uh, especially in the Romans, uh, even um, the Romans themselves, talk about the fall of the Republic as a decline, you know, the end of Roman values and virtue. So there is a very, it's a very Roman way to look back on their own past and say it was much better back then. Cato in the Republic was saying it was much better in the early days of the Republic. So that, that I think that rhetoric or that view that earlier was somehow better and we're not as good as our ancestors is very much endemic to Roman culture and it's influenced modern historiography um, in, in ways that I think are, are have, have obscured really the creative resilience of the people, men and women who lived through these periods, who've lived through these challenges. So that's, uh, so, so I, that's one of the um, motivating factors, I think, that has led me to, read this, to write this book. So for instance, very often you will, hear people say, oh, the Western Roman Empire ended with the last Roman emperor in 476. Um, uh, a young teenager uh, who was named Romulus or, and later um, historians called him Romulus, little Augustus, Augustulus. Um, and a lot of textbooks say that that's the end of the Western Roman Empire. But I look at that period and uh, in, in the city of Rome itself. And I have what I argue in the book is that that was really a political uh, ending. There no longer was a need for a Western Roman emperor, but there was an Eastern emperor and the senators, the military, the church recognized the Eastern emperor at this time in Constantinople mm. um, as being the emperor. They didn't see the empire is having fallen. They just saw this as a political resolution that in many ways was very beneficial to the senators and the Senate in the city of Rome and Italy because they had much greater autonomy now without having a resident Western emperor. So there, so I, I don't think the removal of a Western emperor signals the, the end of the political institutions that um, allowed the Romans to maintain control of, of Italy at this time. So, mm. yes. So uh, I want to pick up off of that because the Constantinople, we talked about it in a recent show. I just read a novel called Cloud Cuckoo Land, which I thought was <laughs> great, that features Constantinople. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. I think... Um, I think you'd probably like it. Uh, and I was not really aware of this kind of dichotomy. So was Constantinople on the rise while Rome was thriving and eventually it just became uh, the predominant or the most powerful city in the region? Or what, what was, how did that, ha how did that become the, the lasting political center of of the, as you said, the Eastern Roman Empire. It's a, it's a. I, I don't know the novel, but I. It sounds, it sounds kind of intriguing. 
but but it's um it was a long process of um of, of making content in opal great or grow uh and it took centuries um it, mm. it goes back to this period um constantine who is as you probably know the first christian uh emperor the first emperor to become a christian um when he founded the an eastern city constantinople um to honor his victory over in a civil war um he established it with um you know, all the trappings of a an imperial capital but it took um century and century and a half for it to grow in size um it certainly had the benefit of a, a really deep harbor um being closer to the eastern frontier at least which was very important for maintaining um uh, control or a stance um against um persian uh, which was the sort of largest uh, enemy or problem that the romans had were facing in the 4th and 5th centuries um but the um the growth of constantinople uh, as a capital um did not uh, i argue did not mean it did not come at the expense of the city of rome which was still the traditional western capital um mm-hmm. of the western empire and in the 4th century you see a, a real transformation in the administration of an empire and expanded bureaucracy that hadn't been in existence before so it's a very almost a new almost a new empire although they would never say that uh and so you you have a gradual um accretion gradually there is a senate in constantinople but it has different traditions and different expectations uh and uh it is able to um when the west faces a series of crises military and political crises uh losses of territory the east is able to negotiate um more effectively uh in ways and is able to hold on to the territory although over time the eastern empire will eventually lose will lose egypt eventually north africa will be lost um um you know so they, they there's a gradual loss of territory as well but they're better able to hold on longer um for a variety of reasons but the the um split between the east and west was not uh as as clear or sharp as some you know easy textbooks would say once constantinople was founded rome just disappeared that's just not the case in fact when constantine established constantinople and ruled in the east he took western senators and appointed them to positions of power in the east and what you see is a real strong network of elites senators um acting as generals as governors as uh proconsuls um and serving to uh, administer an empire east and west um through most of the 4th century so you uh is more working together that doesn't that doesn't mean that there weren't frictions and falling out especially in the 5th century uh we see that much more uh, accentuated and the tensions between rival courts and families um add to the problems in the 5th century um through that time constantinople is is able you know uh, to uh, hold out against uh, attacks um more uh, effectively yes um and the city of rome famously uh get sacked for the first time in the year 410 um through a series of failed i argue failed negotiations with um alaric who was a general who wanted uh stuff um recognition honor land payment from the then western emperor so the tensions between the east and west emerge and play out in interesting problematic ways for sure so you in the description of the book uh, that I was reading it mentions some of these events and you just touched on one of them with the sack of rome and i think that some listeners will be kind of vaguely uh familiar with some of these maybe we 
they've heard of them from some of that scholarship, the decline and fall of the Roman empire and all of that. Um, the Vandal occupation, the sack of Rome, the decline of the Senate. I know your book is titled the falls of Rome. So I guess I'm just trying. So can you just talk a little bit more about that and what, what were some of the forces or some of the events that caused this, uh, this, I, I guess, multi-phase fall of Rome? And I know that's a large question <laughs> and you don't, you know, but, but I guess to simplify, can you just talk a little bit more about what some of those falls of Rome were in your perspective? Yeah, no, great, great question. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's how I structured the book. I, uh, I it, um, historians and uh, and journalists, you know, uh, in fact, um, in fact, I was very struck because the New York Times had uh, one of its headlines one day was sacked in um, five thirty six, uh, um, sacked and will it fall again? Um, talking about the empty streets of Rome during the pandemic, and it was mm. you know, that that image comes so easily to mind um, because there are several political and military crises that happen um, in the city of Rome itself, which is which was the largest city in the Western Mediterranean down through the end of this period. Mm. Um, in its heyday, the city of Rome had estimates as high as a million people for an ancient city that's astonishing to be able to feed house uh, maintain and uh, some degree of um, security in that world is really quite an accomplishment so it's its fate is intimately tied with the fate of the Mediterranean Empire of the Romans uh, so in the period of uh, late antiquity from around oh, 300 to 700, the city of Rome faces a number of political and military threats in which the city is taken. It falls. It falls to in a civil war, um, as it did. In fact, the first fall that I really spend much time on is uh, when Constantine, the first Christian emperor, battles uh, against um, next. Maxentius, who was the uh, resident Western emperor, um, mm -hmm. right outside the walls of the city of Rome. And because Constantine wins the battle, um, he takes the city, the city falls to him. And so some people have seen that fall as really the end of the empire, uh, because with that fall, Christianity becomes you know, a very favored religion. And there's a huge um, cultural, social sort of transition that begins with that moment. Um, and so that's one fall, a political military fall that has huge consequences, um, a crisis. And what I argue in the book is that in response to that fall, the senators um, really step up to the plate and they become willing actors in a new empire and support Constantine. And the senators are all predominantly pagans and traditionally Italians from Italy. And, um, and yet they are, or they open their arms to and work for, and uh, this uh, emperor who is increasingly um, uh, Christian. And so this crisis leads to a recovery of this senatorial class um, in, after a civil war. Um, and I argue on the contrary, that um, although Constantine is famous for uh, building large churches, basilicas in the city of Rome, um, that his relations with the bishops of Rome were, were rather strained. And that he, although some Christians, even at the time, said that the church was triumphant, famously um, Eusebius, Constantine's, uh, the bishop of Caesarea, who supported Constantine, um, we'll see him as another Moses, right? Leading people into mm. the promised land. Um, if you look at more closely at the evidence, uh, I argue that the bishops of Rome, the popes, were not really as, uh, didn't benefit nearly as much, were much more suspicious, were much less willing to cooperate with Constantine than were the pagan senators. So, uh, so that's so that's one of uh, that's the first fall. 
although it's a rather intraditional one. Um, in the fifth century, there are um, no less than um, three times that the city of Rome that I talk about that was taken by a military, hostile military and political force. The, the first one I just referred to most famously when the goth Alaric um, uh, sieges Rome three times and then uh, eventually um, it, because he's in these negotiations with the emperor uh, Honorius and is not willing and is not able to get what he wants, eventually someone opens the gates and he takes the city and the city falls. And it's that fall for the first time in 800 years that really shocked the Mediterranean. Many books will end there. You know, Rome fell, the cosmic ending. Um, uh, Augustine wrote his massive work, The City of God, to try to defend Christians you know, because it was a huge cultural blow. If the empire is now Christian, why could this happen? How could a good Christian God allow the city of Rome to fall? Augustine's work is a defense of that, you know, really a try to um, respond to critiques of pagans who were blaming this crisis on Rome. So um, I look at really the recovery. Most historians just say it declined, it fell, it's over, end of story. But that's not true because within seven years, as I argue, you can see rebuilding in Rome, recovery, population returning, mm. food supplies being fueled again, um, inscriptions from now lost monuments going up, proclaiming the restoration of Rome. And so, uh, yes, it brings about a political recalibration among various elites and the growing importance of having a strong military um, who was increasingly um, non-Roman, you know, Germanic or barbarian um, is there. So that's a, a second fall that is really important to deconstruct. Right? So uh, the other time the city gets captured uh, or falls uh, is um, when the Vandals take the city in 455. And mm. uh, that sack uh, is really much I think much more destructive of the city's infrastructure and population and political system. Because when the Vandal King Geyseric um, was infuriated with the then um, emperor, uh, a senator who, who seized power and then had his son married to the girl, the, the daughter of the former emperor who was uh, betrothed or to Geyseric's own son, he uses this as a pretext to attack, and the city falls again in 455. And so, um, many, uh, another moment of crisis uh, and uh, quite difficult because Geyseric was a very systematic plunderer. In fact, we know one of the ships that was filled with statues and gold went down off the coast and it had hundreds of statues. And we, Rome was a very wealthy city, so this was a huge loss. And he was. Geyseric was in the city for some 10 days, so it, he had time and ships to carry away both goods and, and captives. And yet, I argue, there's recovery and rebuilding, and that's another key moment. Um, uh, perhaps the most striking um, moment or the harshest uh, challenge um, happens in the, in the Justinian, the Eastern Emperor in the 6th century, comes back and reclaims uh, Rome um, against uh, against the then um, Ostrogothic king who was in charge of Italy in the sixth century, um, uh, and Theodoric. Um, and that war lasted for a good 20 years, um, quite devastating in many ways to the countryside and to Italy. Um, and yet, as I argue in the book, um, there was the possibility for recovery, uh, but uh, the way in which the Eastern Emperor Justinian tried to recover uh, made it impossible for the senatorial elites to recover in quite the same way. So that's where the end um, comes, not from the war, but from the reconstruction period is so, what I would argue. So in your view, with 
with different management, different reaction, different response, you could have seen some sort of continuation of the of the empire past that point. Yeah, very much so. In fact, in fact, there is that. Yeah, I mean that that is I think different than than what a lot of people have said. But there was we know that senators returned. That some senators, I mean, it was smaller. We have a decreasing population over time. There's no doubt about that. But there were recovery possibilities and efforts. We know about the names of senators and aristocrats who had fled to Constantinople and came back uh, to Italy. Uh, but the structures and the political structures in particular, as well as the economic structures that were put in place after the war by Justinian's reconstruction um, and um, uh, ongoing attacks from um, a new group of Germans, the Lombards, um, made it in, uh, made it impossible. In fact, and also Justinian appointed Easterners to to rule in the West. Um, so he cut out the possibilities for the kind of recovery that had always been possible before. So, the, so it's a political, in some ways, solution that really makes resilience not possible. Well, and I'm, I'm always fascinated by this um, sort of debate, uh, I guess you could call it about, you know, the social forces and economic forces of history versus the role of individual political or military leaders and this kind of thing in shaping things. And I'm always, I mean, from my perspective, like it's just all on the table. It all has to be considered, but um, it, uh, it sounds like uh, you know, and we see this in our modern lives. We see individuals making decisions that are putting things at the brink and you don't, you know, you don't know which way something is going to go. And, uh, so, so this emperor Justinian, uh, with, a with possibly, you know, had he conceived of things differently or responded differently, it's possible the situation could have gone, um, you know, you could have had another, uh, resurgence of some of this and, and all of the, the history would be different. Is that fair to say? Uh, uh, yes, I do actually. I, 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 that's very much it. I mean, and very much I feel that choices matter. You know, I wanted to capture some of those uh, human actors uh, and put mm -hmm. them back into the script. And there has been a long I think, uh, and it's certainly true, wars matter. Who wins a battle uh, has implications. And increasingly, the Romans rely on different dramatic um, officers, troops to fight um, in, in, through the military. That's a development that, uh, that I trace to some degree. But, but it's not, you can never just have a military solution. There has to be a political solution with it. And I do think Justinian, for his own reasons, and it was typical of the way he treated um, aristocrats in other parts of the empire, he didn't want to have a strong uh, aristocracy or a strong Senate in the West. Um, that wasn't to his advantage or fit his model. Um, um, in fact, we what I use as evidence is um, a series of laws that are sort of packaged together and conveniently called the pragmatic sanctions, which were used to sort of govern the um, Italy because the Western Empire really had shrunk to Italy in large parts of it. And though, and what I do through a very careful analysis of those laws is look at the impact on how Italy was administered that would undermine, you know, the sort of political recovery that had been possible before. But but it is true that, it, it, I mean, you're, you're right, that there are a, a whole host of factors and perhaps um, Justinian's reconstruction efforts wouldn't have been so devastating had there not also been um, military incursions at the same time from a new set of invaders, the Lombards. On the other hand, the Romans had, you know, were able to come back uh, again and again in previous centuries uh, when they didn't have this, these political uh, and administrative changes that Justinian put into place. 
So, you know, it's always hard with history to say what would have happened if you right. had done something Right, uh, yeah, of course. Is, is there a sense, um, I know it's also hard to, to put yourself in the mindset of the average person of the time, but was there a sense if, if I had lived in Rome or, or you had or, or nearby that uh, people had a sense that this was the end of some era or was this, you know, was it, could it be seen at that micro level that, you know, future uh, historians would be seeing this as the end of some long, you know, great era, or was it just another event in a long line of events and who knows what would happen? That's a very good question. Uh, I, I wish I could be an average Roman or uh, uh, that would be very um, wonderful to be able to go back and ask somebody, how did you really feel? But we <laughs> can't usually do that. Uh, there, uh, it's striking to me that the notion that the Roman Empire fell was um, with the removal of the Western Emperor Romulus or Romulus Augustulus. This was the first time we hear about it is in the East under Justinian. And mm. there was a chronicler by the name of Mausolinus um, Comes, the Count Mausolinus, um, who came up with this uh, way of explaining the removal of the empire. And he did it in ways, in part, you know, it was a justification for the war to recover the West. The Western empire has fallen, it's no more. So it was part of the rhetoric that Justinian's um, men in his uh, circle were hearing um, in, as a response to the reconquest of of Italy and and Africa. So, 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 so that makes you think that you know that's really for political purposes it became established. There, um, you know, there were a whole host of sort of responses. I think some people, for instance, when Rome was uh, sacked in four ten. Um, the uh, Christian um, monk uh, Jerome talked about the fall of the world, the end of the universe, the end of the cosmos. How could this happen? So you know, there were a lot of uh, individuals who used these events to um, advance their own view of the world, as it were. Um, when Augustine wrote his City of God, he saw 410 as, you know, it, it's the end of, you know, it's the end of, of the city of man. Much more important is the city of God. Right? So you did have certainly, you know, uh, there was a strand in Christian thinking that, that is apocalyptic and, you know, sees events and interprets them uh, as the end, end times. Right? So... Um, and that you know the empire is is going to disappear, and there'll be an, a new period of of, um, um, of, of, of um, heavenly happiness. Right? So there, there were those, you know. So I think you had a wide variety of reactions to to these events. Fascinating. I it's I've had this experience in in my life growing up where. Um, and not to get too political, but through, you know, through probably 2015 or something, it was almost like you didn't, I didn't get the feeling that you were really living in a kind of a pivotal historical time. Whereas now I feel like it's, it's possible we are. And so I'm always interested in the awareness of people. Do people recognize these things that we look at now as defining events or, or the ends of eras or, or whatever, um, you know, kind of how, how did people think about this at the time? Did they understand they were living in the decline of an empire or, or whatever? Um, and so uh, you touched on this a little bit in, in, um, in one of your answers just a couple of minutes ago, but I'm curious, we're talking about the sack of Rome and the fall of Rome as a, as a city and a larger political entity. Um, but I, you know, we've all seen the map of the, the, the height of the Roman Empire stretching all across the Mediterranean to, up to the British Isles, etc. I'm, I'm curious about how these other territories were experiencing this at the time and, and what, what had it already declined to the point where that wasn't relevant or what, you know, where was Alexandria? You know, what, what were people thinking in Alexandria when Rome is sacked or, or are they already just doing their own thing and not 
subject to Rome. And, you know, so I'm just getting at sort of the empire idea um, beyond just the, the city itself. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, uh, you know, I, I, to go back to your first question, you know, I'm looking uh, in the book, I look at five crises mm. that people in Rome also saw as critical moments, you know, mm. but every critical moment is always uh, an opportunity for another group to do something. Right. And so, um, so I, I do try, although it's not always possible, but I do try to incorporate the responses of individuals and they may not be the person on the ground. They might be an emperor or a bishop, but there's somebody from Rome seeing this moment as a critical moment. So these particular Mm. five crises that I look at. Um, um, So uh, what you're asking about really is the relationship between the city of Rome and the Western or the empire writ large. And you're right. You know, we have that map in our mind really easily. That's not quite the way the Romans viewed the world. They didn't have mm. maps quite the same way we we do. That said, there was, um, you know, at the beginning of late antiquity, the, the empire did extend from Britain down through, you know, uh, modern Turkey, what they would call Asia. Uh, and... Um, as far north to the to the North Sea and uh, into North Africa, Carthage, uh, Tunisia, Egypt was all part of the this whole unified Roman Empire. And yes, the Romans were in control of that area, minus an area, <laughs> minus a um, you know uh, Dacia was lost in the third century, the modern Romania, for, uh, for instance. But there was. Um, um, over the period that I'm looking at, late antiquity, from sort of the third to the seventh century, parts of the empire did fall away. Right? We know in the fifth century, um, Honorius, the Emperor Honorius, in the early part of the fifth century, um, said he wasn't going to defend Britain anymore, and he didn't send soldiers. And the people in Britain, the Native inhabitants, the Romans, were left to sort of fend for themselves. Uh, And so Britain falls away from Roman control. There's a decision that it's not worth it in a certain sense, or the emperor emperor is not able at this moment to provide assistance. They're going to have to take care of themselves, more or less. And we see uh gradually um over the course really of the fifth century parts of the western empire sort of falling under the control of non-romans mm. uh, um in uh in north africa uh, in particular in, um, in part as a result of political infighting north africa um, falls to North Africa, which was sort of modern Tunisia, sort of Libya, that area, uh, falls to the Vandals, who are Germanic peoples who, who take over that area. So we know in some areas, you know, some of the Romans were, it's fascinating, some of the Romans were very um, uh happy to have new military elites to support them and protect them and others who lost their property or were were repressed. So each area had different kinds of trajectories. Uh, um, In modern France, ancient Gaul, we have, for instance, in the middle of fifth century, a Roman aristocrat by the name of uh, Sidonius um, Apollinaris um, whose letters survive, and he sort of makes fun of um, Romans who serve at the court of the Visigothic king there. Uh, the Visigoth, they smell, they have hairy, you know, they have hair, they don't speak Latin, you know, so you can sort of see different attitudes um, in different places. Um, uh, Egypt um, is under Roman control until it falls to the Arabs, though. Uh, mm. So there's so it stays. Uh, that's one of the reasons why Constantinople remains so strong because the grain from Egypt is sent to Constantinople still for most for the most of this period. So it's um so really you have a gradual you know 
loosening, but it's a very long and gradual process. We're talking about something that's two to 300 to 400 years. And um, if you stop the most, the average person on the street, they would probably say the Roman Empire still lives. It just looks different. Mm. You know, I often show students maps of the United States. You know, If you show the map of the United States minus, oh, minus Florida, it'd still not be the United States. Right. So it's the same. There'd be fewer United States, but it would be still the United States. And there's been a lot of different maps of the United States as well. Um, but yeah, it is kind of a, I guess it's the politics that interests me of, okay, Rome falls and you're running Alexandria. Where, you know, what do you, are, are you now? Yeah, you see, uh, but I think you're, you're buying into the notion that Rome falls, you know, the city was taken. Yes, exactly. But it's recovery. So so that's the problem. That's exactly why the title is sort of a sort of points to that issue. If you if you assume that, I don't think everybody has to assume that. Mm. You know, it's kind of like um after 911, right? You know, New York fell. But mm. did the United States end? You know, are we in did we decline necessarily? You know, if had so there are a whole series of sort of parallel questions. So in other words, okay, so in other words, it, it could have been viewed as there's a crisis, a political crisis happening in the capital city, but that the empire, the, the whatever exists of the larger empire isn't just instantly dissolved and now we are now working for the Goths or, or whoever. That probably right, right. wasn't the way that it worked. No, no, it's a much longer drawn out process. And um, well, I mean, it's very analogous to what's happened on January 6th, right? You know, yeah. the capital was siege taken. Yeah. Um, uh, if, uh, how did we respond? I mean, nobody would say America has fallen, right. you know, although the capital fell, you know, you would say that. So yeah. it's a very... Um, you know, as an historian, I'm trying to be a, have a more balanced interpretation of these events. Interesting. And what I uh, what I borrow when I talk about resilience, I'm talking about I borrow it from environmental historians who talk about societies and groups who marshal their resources and are able to recover after a natural disaster. And so, what I'm interested in is how groups, social groups, recover using their resources after political and military disaster. Is that something that, um, you know, in, in these, uh, when Rome fell in these different situations that you laid out, was it mostly something where this was happening at a political level and the average person, you know, uh, was just going about their lives or, or was this major upheaval for, for the, for the residents of Rome and in the area? These are major upheavals. <laughs> when um, when the Vandals captured the city in 455, it was a major upheaval. They took uh, they, they they took captives. They took stuff. They um, so I think these are major moments that challenge um, a society's a willingness to um, rebuild, and that's why I find them so meaningful because um, Roman senators could have retreated to their houses in Sicily. They could have gone off to their homes in Asia or Minor and never come back or go off. And yet they did time and time again. That recovery, the determination to recover their positions, their society, um, uh, I find very moving. So, uh, so that's, uh, so, yeah, no, these are major moments. Um, the civil war uh, in Rome in 472, which led to the removal of the last Western emperor, uh, which people don't talk about much, but is there, um, was a very um, destructive moment. Uh, Ricimer, the general, was, uh, and his troops um, killed and pillaged. And yeah, there was a, a lot of destruction. And yeah, Romans came back and, and rebuilt. So, mm. yeah. It's, um, it's hard not to uh, 
living in, in, you know, current day America, it's hard not to draw these, you know, analogies between Roman empire, American empire, world superpowers, et cetera. I've, um, I talked to, uh, archeologist Eric Klein earlier on, uh, this year, and he, he was doing a study. Um, his book was about the fall of the bronze age and, and, um, and, you know, he, I guess my question is when you look at these principles, these forces that play out, uh, in, in, um, the end of eras or different things, like, are you, do you feel, do you see, um, do you feel that you can apply these principles to our modern world? Do you see parallels? Do you, you know, are there things that happen, uh, you know, right now, um, the rise of China as a world power is something that is, 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 you know, out there in the news a lot. And, and some people say America is declining. Do you look, do you try, do you draw lessons from these things to the current day? Or do you look at it as, specific to the time and place and you don't want to weigh in and, and get into that. I, I just, I'm curious for, you know, um, uh, because I think a lot of people do weigh in that know a little bit of history and almost probably enough to be dangerous, probably people like myself, whereas the true scholars and experts like, like you, I'm curious what your thought is about, uh, you know, um, how, how relevant these lessons or events are for today. That's a really good question, and I uh, have to, uh, uh, I think about Mark Twain, who said, you know, history never repeats itself, but it rhymes. Mm. And so it's very hard not to see parallels between what's going on today and what's happened in the past. And I think that's one of the, it's not precisely the same, but you can see developments that are that have turned out a certain way in the past and uh, similarities you know, emerge. Uh, that's one of the reasons for, so for instance, when, um, when President Biden pulled out of Afghanistan, people were you know, decrying that as a terrible loss, the decline of the American empire. Um, and yet, you know, we've seen, uh, I, I know, Romans pulled out of certain areas. Yeah. Honorius pulled out of Britain. Uh, and it wasn't the decline of the Roman Empire. You know, it was a strategic move that allowed Honorius to recover and rebuild another day. So I don't think, I guess there are parallels, and I'm hoping that what I do has meaning to let people see that their actions matter in the ultimate way. Um, one of the, I end the book with the decline of, decline, the demise, uh, the final end of the Roman Senate, which for me is a really the, the, the death of, of the Roman Empire because this political institution that has been so vibrant, so powerful, so able to work together to solve problems is not able to anymore. You know, I think that's a lesson. Yeah. Well, I'll remind listeners that we've been talking with Michelle Salzman, uh, who's an expert in the Roman Empire in late antiquity and whose uh, latest book out now is called The Falls of Rome which I believe you can get on Amazon. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, $39.99. <laughs> great. Great. And I'm sure other places as well. Is there anything that uh, we've covered a lot of ground and I know it's so hard to get into the weeds too much in half an hour or 45 minutes, but is there anything else that uh, you, you wanted to add or um, major themes that we haven't touched on? Uh, thank you. Um, I think the uh, I think I've touched on it, but uh, um, I I think resilience is really the sort of mm. through line that I really wanted to touch on here. You know that it wasn't um, that you know things change, and you see, in the book, you know, uh, any in life, uh, you know, things change, um, and we do see downturns you know one of the reasons why i can't simply say rome lived on is because there were changes and some of them were negative you know there are moments where you see actors making mistakes but it's the overall um, ability of groups of people to um 
to use their resources to restore, recover, rebuild, um, that I think is really the um, what impresses me the most about you know, Roman elites in this period. So mm. I think that's that's the that's the only thing that we've touched on, but it's um, it's my I want to I think distinguishes this study from a lot of other studies that simply talk about decline and fall or the positive transformation. There is in a middle that, that I'm trying to come up with that looks at both the negatives and the positives in a more holistic fashion. It is. And I, and I think it's, it's almost our bias later on knowing kind of how things go, where we see these periods and we kind of, we know the result. We know that the Roman empire eventually is going to no longer exist. And we almost think of it as, Oh, this is the, this is the decline or the demise or the fall. And it's this predetermined thing and everyone's like walking around depressed or something about it. Whereas I, f- I feel like you're drawing a really interesting contrast that, you know, at the time, these are dynamic things that are still playing out and people are recovering and they're, you know, it's like, it's, it's not, uh, it's not this kind of predetermined depressed view that, that, uh, that maybe you have after, you know, hundreds of years later, um, yeah, very much so. Yeah, that's very much it. You know, the decline and fall motif is based on a kind of almost biological necessity that things grow and die. Mm. And that's not the way political institutions necessarily work or, or societies work. And yeah. nor is the notion that everything is transforming in a progressive, positive light the case either. You know, there are swerves, there are catastrophes, things don't always uh, and you can see this. Petronius Maximus, you know, he was emperor for like three weeks. <laughs> you know, he's a good example of someone who um, made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> so, yeah, we're good. But that, yeah. Well, we've covered um, we've covered quite a bit. Like I said, uh, I, I can't wait to read the book. I can't wait to learn more about the Roman Empire and all these things. Maybe one day we can talk again. Um, I'll just say thank you for your time. Uh, This has been fascinating. And uh, Falls of Rome, it's out now. And uh, thank you, Professor Salzman. And hopefully we'll be able to one day talk again or even meet in person or something. That would be lovely. Thanks very much for inviting me, Patrick. I really enjoyed it. Thanks to Derek Feischer for composing the music used in this episode. If you like the show, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcast app. Until next time.